Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. I'm very pleased to be introducing this podcast where we will be discussing the paper by Anna Mayhew and colleagues entitled Moving Towards Meaningful Measurement, Rash Analysis of the North Star Ambulatory Assessment in Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. It will be discussed by Dr. Anna Mayhew, consultant physiotherapist in neuromuscular disease, who works at the Newcastle Muscle Centre in the Institute of Human Genetics, Newcastle University, UK, who is one of the authors, and Mike Horse, who works in the Psychometric Laboratory for Health Sciences, Leeds University, UK. Can we start with you, please, Anna, to discuss the background? Okay. If I just introduce the paper to you, it is a paper which is making a more in-depth exploration of the use of the North Star Ambulatory Assessment in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. For those of you not familiar with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's a severe genetic disease which results in increasing muscle weakness in boys. And one of the things that we measure quite carefully in these boys is their functional deterioration. And a fairly recent development in the last six years or so has been the North Star Ambulatory Assessment, which is a functional measure to assess change in these boys over time whilst they're still ambulant. It was a functional assessment put together by the North Star Network, which is a group of specialist doctors and physiotherapists across the UK, and it was developed in conjunction with Elaine Scott. The assessment is a rating scale consisting of 17 items, and it's scored as 2, 1, and 0 for each individual item, and the sum of that score gives a measure of change in how a boy is changing over time. And we found it very useful as a clinical tool, and we had examined some reliability and validity measures in the traditional sense, but we decided it would be beneficial to apply a more sophisticated technique to examine its uh, clinical utility and the way it operates as a rating scale using rash methods. So that's really the purpose of the paper. And the paper explores in more detail how the items work together, do they really measure ambulatory function, etc. Mike, please, would you like to, to comment on that? Um, yes. Well, I was actually a, a reviewer on this paper, and it pleased me to see this kind of uh, analysis going into the journal because it offers us a, a lot of advantages over traditional analysis, if you like. What rash analysis does for us is it, it offers us a unified framework for assessing or constructing a type of measurement that we are used to in physical sciences things such as temperature or length, what are known as interval level scales where comparisons between different measurements are invariant. So rash analysis actually allows us the framework to enable the same sort of invariant comparisons between measurements. So can I just ask Anna if, if she found it difficult to access rash analysis? Well, I came across it through some literature that I was reading around my area of expertise in neuromuscular disorders, and I first of all attended a training course, actually in Leeds with yourself, Mike, as you will perhaps remember, and that gave me the background or the, the basis to get started on actually performing a rash analysis. And even though there is a lot to take on board, it uses a different language that as um, clinicians that we're not necessarily familiar with, what struck me about it as a technique is that it does give you an enormous amount of detail as to how your scale is working. But for me as a clinician, the information that it was giving made clinical sense. So that when it was telling me, for instance, that an item wasn't 
fitting the overall construct of the scale. So in the instance of this paper within the North Star, one of the significantly misfitting items was lift head from supine, which is performed when the child is lying down. And even though this is a clinically useful question, it doesn't really fit the overall construct of ambulation in a Duchenne boy. So when the analysis revealed that it was misfitting and not working as it should within the scale, this was no clinical surprise to me. It actually made clinical sense. So even though there was a lot to take on board when I was learning about the technique, for me as a clinician, it was my interpretation of the results that made me realize that this was a technique worth pursuing and I've gone on to gain further training in the technique. All right, well, that, that's certainly good to know. Uh, I think that that link that you've made between underlying theory and the practical application of it is one which is paramount to the technique, really. And it's something which is seen quite a lot, and people actually use this and find its utility is brilliant because, like I say, you can make links from doing the actual rush analysis and the results which come out of that often make a lot of sense when you're practically looking at your measure. Yes. I think one of the sections in the paper actually discussed the clinical meaning of what the rash analysis was showing us. So for the purpose of the analysis, the run package that you use, yeah. which is the software program, it ranks the items in order of difficulty for, for the boys, so it gives them a hierarchy. And one of the questions that we asked our experts in Duchenne was, how would you rank these items in terms of difficulty? And there was a very close match between how the program viewed the items and how the clinicians viewed the items. And that, for me, was the starting point of saying, yes, this scale is measuring what we intended it to measure. But the items that the clinicians found difficult to rate incidentally, were the items that had issues of fit, actually, as demonstrated by the rash analysis. So again, it was that bringing together of the clinician's experience and all that that entails and bringing it together with the, the rash model. So that was a real strength for me when this came on board. I think in terms of this paper, what we did is we applied the rash methods to the North Star, and the North Star actually came out very well in terms of fit and measuring just one dimension, et cetera. So it came out quite strong. But there were issues within it, particularly in terms of some misfitting items, particularly one. There were some items, again, that were um, demonstrated dependency. So that would be where the response to one question was very dependent on the response to another question. And that was true of the items that were measuring the difference between the right and the left. So some of the items ask a boy to, to step onto a step with first with their right leg and secondly with their left leg. And so it showed some dependency. Uh, so it did highlight issues. It wasn't the purpose of this paper to then suddenly start making changes to a scale that clinicians are very familiar with using. That wasn't the point of this paper. It was to kind of examine more carefully where we are at with this scale. But it may be in the future that we would adapt this scale so it more closely mimics an interval level scale rather than the ordinal level data that it is now. So it means that we would better understand that a one-point change at one end of the scale means the same as a one-point change at the other end of the scale. But that would mean a kind of a further rash transformation of your raw total score into a rash transformed interval level score, and that is a potential really for the next wave of analysis. But this 
paper was based on quite small numbers for rash analysis, so it was less than 200 boys for this assessment. And so the plan would be to reconduct to do further analysis on a larger data set over a longitudinal data set as well to give us more confidence that the results that we saw in this paper were reflected in a further paper. And then perhaps we could produce a, a transformed score so we had an interval level measure which would be highly applicable to clinical trials within Duchenne. My concept of a scale that fits the rash is rather like a ladder with regular rungs, regular intervals. And that the problem can be there are a lot of scales where either rungs can be missing or the spacing can be different or you can have several rungs at the same level and then none for a level or two. And that what one's trying to do is to make the scale into more like a regular ladder should look. Is that the correct concept? Uh, yes, you've got it pretty much exactly right there. What you've described is a classic ordinal scale, really, which is any sort of patient-reported outcome or health questionnaire, uh, any raw score which you get from that will always be at the ordinal level. And like you say, it has these different measures, the different distances between the rungs on the ladder, and that's just the function of the actual scale. What rational analysis allows us to do is to make a conversion into the interval scaling, given, given that you've got fit to the model. So that's obviously one of the, the conditions is that you have to have the fit to the model before this transformation is valid. Humans don't always do everything like that, do they? No, no, they don't. And they, again, that's kind of one of the main differences here. I'll just bring in like the other forms of um, item response theory here. That's one of the main differences in how uh, you're talking about how people actually respond to items. What rash analysis is concerned with is very much um, measurement. And um, so we see the rash analysis or the rash model as defining measurement. And what we actually do is then try and satisfy all the criteria surrounding that so that we can develop measures which fit all of these measurement criteria. And the other way of looking at it is with, with IRT, which is like the two and three parameter models. So when we're looking at the rash uh, analysis, it's what's sometimes called the one parameter model in terms of IRT, uh, which is item response theory uh, analysis. And this one parameter is relating to the item difficulty. So the item difficulty, which Anna mentioned before, you know, when all her clinicians you know, rated items in terms of their difficulty, again, rationalysis will give you this. So it will rate items in their difficulty order based on the amount of people that have responded, say, let's say, correctly or, or affirmed that particular item. So the one parameter of rationalysis is the uh, item difficulty parameter, which is allowed to vary between items. Now, if we bring in the different forms of item response theory, the two-parameter model also adds what's called a discrimination parameter, which is the discrimination of a particular item between high-functioning people and low-functioning people. So the shape of the curve formed will, will be different between different items. And with the three-parameter model, it also adds a guessing parameter or a pseudo-guessing parameter. Whereas if there's five response categories, people will just pick a random one. So it will put the probability of affirming any response of an item at, say, 20% if there's five response categories. The main differences between IRT being the two- and three-parameter model and the RASH approach is that 
the rush model essentially gives us this invariant parameterization, meaning that if your data fit the rush model, then a sum score is then a sufficient statistic to be able to compare people across that scale and to provide these interval level transformations. With two and three parameter models, the sum score will never be a sufficient statistic because you always need extra information regarding the discrimination parameters and the guessing parameters, etc. But largely, the difference between the two is it's two different schools of thought, really. David Andrich wrote in Medical Care in 2004 that RASH versus IRT was essentially two incompatible paradigms that were working together or working against each other, I should say, in that RASH largely concerned with the measurement structure, like the RASH model is this measurement structure and we should try and obtain this, this measurement structure. Whereas the IRT world are much more focused on actually modeling the data. So if your model doesn't fit the data, then they will add extra parameters to the model to obtain better fit. Whereas people from the RASH side aren't really interested in that. They have their the predefined measurement model, and then we're trying to see what deviates from that. So RASH analysis is very much a tool to see how your scale is actually performing or working. And any deviations from that can then be assessed and accounted for. Or if you can develop a scale, you know, you can go back and maybe add items in where there isn't any, you know, these rungs on the ladder. If there's, if there's a large amount like missing, then we can add in extra items at difficulties that aren't being measured at the moment. But they're very much from the same field in that they're based on item responses and you know this probabilistic relationship between person ability and item difficulty. But as I said, this the, the two schools of thought, which are different ways of looking at it. I understand the theoretical importance of it, but practically it's important in the, as well because of the particularly the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration. Uh, and I think we published an article by Carno and Hobart about that in 2008. Is there going to be a choice? Will the FDA accept both approaches to validating scales, or is there going to be a battle between which one is accepted? I think that's a good question. I mean, my noddies guide the difference between RASH and IRT. So RASH is about the perfect model where you can rank the questions or the items in order of difficulty, and you rank the people in order of difficulty too, and that's based on something called the Gutman distribution, that's the perfect model. And what RASH does is it takes your clinical data and it fits it against that perfect model and tells you where it's misfitting. And can, can I just uh, say that RASH, RASH gives you a probabilistic form of that Gutman scale? Yeah. Yeah. So it gives okay. you a bit so of leeway around it, whereas Gutman, the Gutman pattern is a deterministic pattern, okay. and okay. you don't fall away from that. So, so that's what that is the basis of RASH analysis right. that gives you the probabilistic version of that. Okay, so so we have this perfect model and we fit our clinical data against it, and then it's our job to decide if we're going to adapt our scale so we can say our our data fits that perfect model, i.e., it will now become interval level data. What IRT does is it, there's a compensation, so it looks at your data, and if it doesn't fit that perfect model, it creates compensations to make it fit, and therefore it isn't about the production of interval-level data. I think what the FDA are interested in is, first and foremost, clinically relevant outcome measures and, and patient-reported outcome measures. That's what's 
very, very key to what goes on. And But then obviously they want to be clinically relevant and meaningful to the patients and their families, but at the same time they want to be robust measures that produce interval level data. So we've had very positive responses in discussion with the FDA in the use of these techniques, and they are acceptable to them. But I think you'll just find different patches of the world have preferences for one technique over another, and sometimes it's just how different clinical groups fall in with different expert groups of psychometricians, if you like. I think one of the important things here is that my take-home message for clinicians is really that that rash analysis is a tool, a tool that needs to be wielded by people who know how to wield it to create rating scales. That's about interval level data. We know that one point change means the same across the scale. But that doesn't negate the need for clinically meaningful questions. You don't always, if you've got clinically meaningful questions, have to create a scale out of them. A rating scale development is really very much for the use of clinical trials, and that's something that's very much in evidence within Duchenne muscular dystrophy. But I don't want clinicians to think that it means that we're suddenly going to start changing all the scales out there. It, it may be that questions that you take out in terms of a transformation, you leave in when you actually ask these questions in a clinical setting. So it isn't all about change and starting again with our scales. It's about taking the strengths from our existing scales and developing them further and making them more robust for our clinical trials. Thank you for that. Can I ask, that is an important question, if a scale does closely adhere to uh, the RASH model, like the North Star scale, does that mean it's also going to have a good responsiveness to change? Uh, that's one thing one wants to measure in many controlled clinical trials, for example. Yes, I th yeah, that is very important. Yes, it does to a certain extent, but what you would do then is in our next wave of analysis, we're going to look at the North Star assessment stability over time and over treatment groups. So that's something that RASH allows us to do. You can look at different factors that might influence how the scale operates. That's done through the technique called differential item functioning, but that's really related to stability. And you can look to see if the scale works in the same way regardless of a boy's age or the stage of their disease. So that's something really for the, for the next wave of analysis that we're already planning. And that's something that we're looking at in other conditions, other neuromuscular conditions, such as spinal muscular atrophy and congenital muscular dystrophy. Those are jobs already in progress. Can I just go back to what Peter said about looking at the interval level measures and, and whatever comes out of these scores? If all of your data fit the RASH model, then the raw scores of that particular scale will still be ordinal. What RASH analysis allows us to do is to make this transformation to interval scaling. So in terms of change scores, minimally clinically important differences or quantifying intervention effects or anything like that, this is a change which we have to do. You have to make this transformation onto the interval level, onto what's called a, the logit scale, because ordinal scores, you cannot do mathematics or parametric statistics on ordinal level data. Again, as Anna mentioned earlier, the curve, or what's called the test characteristic curve, will be S-shaped in that a one-point change at the bottom of the scale is going to be different to a one-point change in the mid-range of the scale. So it very much depends on where your sample is or where a particular person is as to what their change score actually is. 
So a change score of five on an ordinal scale will be different depending on their start point of the scale. But when this is converted to the interval scale, which is the logit score or the rash ruler, then we can make these comparisons which are actually invariant. So to work out change scores or intervention effects, then that's a transformation which needs to be done, otherwise it's invalid. And of course, once you have a ruler, you still need to imply your clinical sensibilities to what that ruler means, just in the sense that if you have a thermometer and you, you change your temperature by one or two degrees, it depends whereabouts on that thermometer that change is happening as to what you clinically decide to do. So we still need to always involve clinicians in A, the process of how you perhaps adapt a scale to, to fit the RASH model better and therefore produce a transformation, but also in understanding what that ruler then means from a patient uh, perspective, then you need that clinical sensibility again. So again, it's that happy marriage of clinicians and psychometricians into producing something that is very valid and meaningful. Yeah, very much in agreement with that. That also complies with the FDA guidelines, which very much state that there should be a quantitative as well as a qualitative basis to any patient reported outcomes. The underlying trait which we're trying to measure, you should very much have like a, an underlying theory of what you're trying to measure, and it should have some clinical utility. Uh, and that, well, you, you very well sum that up and say, you know, there should be a happy marriage between clinicians and psychometricians, and that we should be able to get the best of both worlds there. Thank you. That, that sounds like a good point to end on, in fact. Uh, can I ask if either uh, you, Anna, or you might have other particular points you'd like to add? Okay, just to mention a few references where people can look for information. There are a couple of really good teaching papers regarding rush analysis. There is, first of all, the Jeremy Hobart and Stephen Kano wrote a HTA monograph in 2009, which is available from the HTA website. And the introduction of that monograph is a really good introduction to rush methods and is, um, like I say, is good for teaching purposes. Alan Tennant and Phil Conahan wrote another teaching paper in 2007, and that was in arthritis and rheumatism. And again, that's kind of a good outline of how it's used and you know, what you should look for and what you need to do in particular papers. And there is another good teaching paper in a nursing journal by Kurt Hagquist and colleagues. That was in the International Journal of Nursing Studies. And if anyone wants any information online, then there's www.rash.org, which is a whole wealth of information there, both theoretical and practical, you know, going way back in the annals of time. And that's a good teaching basis, I think. Okay. Well, we've now come to the end of our podcast. Thank you, both Anna and Mike, for clarifying a complex and quite difficult but clearly very important topic that's going to be more and more relevant to all of us. I've got a lot out of it. I hope our other listeners do as well. And I'd just like to remind anyone listening to the podcast that the article is by Anna Mayhew and colleagues, and it's entitled Moving Towards Meaningful Assessment, Rash Analysis of the North Star Ambulatory Assessment in Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, it's due to appear in developmental medicine and child neurology. Thanks very much.